This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, our guest is George Phillips. He's our favorite paleontologist. So today we're going to get an update on the fossils found around the state and what to expect from this year's fossil roadshow. From dinosaurs to ancient sea creatures and plants, Mississippi has a rich fossil history. We'll also talk about your pets and your encounters with nature with Libby and Dr. Major. You can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's start with you. You were mentioning before we came on the air some updates uh, to your yard. Oh, yes, yes. I I guess I was saying after coming back from Oregon, we haven't done any or not. I guess we did one short trip since we've gotten back. But just for these couple of weeks, we've just been enjoying our yard again. And I think I mentioned that before we left in the fall, we had our first ever mockingbird that we had seen on the site. And it looks like a, a young male. And he's just busy, busy, busy. You know, I hear they're very smart and um, everything I've read about him. But he just came in with gangbusters. He was running. uh, Everybody in the yard was upset, all the little birds. He's kind of settled in. He made it the month that we were gone. But he's still, you know, we had this ritual where he would attack the windows of the house and I had, we had four windows around the house that didn't have screens. And so Paul came back from Oregon and made the screens because it was obvious he had been flailing those four windows while we were gone. And the one that he started with every morning, just before the sun came up usually, was, of course, the one closest to our bed. So he would wake us up. That's the, the first morning we were home from Oregon. There he was, like, beating on the window. Come out, come out. So anyway... We, Paul's put all the screens up. Well, then he started attacking the cars. Oh, gosh. And it's the, the the side mirrors on both of the cars, you know. So he's got four mirrors. So we've been covering them up for two weeks with um, old T-shirts. Yesterday, he pulled the T-shirt off. He can, <laughs> it's, it's hard work. I mean, he put a lot of energy in it. I think it took him about 30 minutes because I noticed him kind of, he would, you know, bat his wings and go across. So he's able to get those off. So I had sort of a brainstorm, and I had read that you shouldn't have mirrors in in gardens where you've got a lot of birds. And so I went back and read all that, and basically they're talking about bigger windows because evidently there is some some style going on in gardens where people incorporate a, a large hmm. mirror. And so you don't need those mirrors in the garden because they'll, um, they, it works like a little tunnel for, you know, birds think that's a place to go. But 
nobody seemed to think that a small mirror would be a problem. So I got a small hand mirror, you know, about a five-inch mirror, and hung it in the tree that he hangs out in the most because it seems like no other birds are going there. So I thought I wouldn't <laughs> mess with their psyches. But um, it sort of looked like it was working. I guess that was the day before yesterday. He was spending more time there, although he was still attacking. That's, you know, we didn't trust him with the car mirrors because it's such a mess, you know, all over the side of the car. So I guess the implication, that goes right along with this. Any window that he's attacking or mirror, he's also making a terrible mess of things right there. So he's... Paul says he's watched him for quite a while this morning while I was driving in, and it's almost like he's now playing with his mirror, the one we gave him. He was at first attacking it and hitting it, and I've hung it so it would swing because I thought that's better for it to give when he hits it so it won't hurt his head. So Paul said it's almost like he's cooing to his mirror. You know, caged birds will do that. (laughs) I had a parakeet that loved. He would sit right up next to his mirror all the time. So I don't know what's happening with the bird, but he— for some reason now, whether he thinks he's beat the, the opponent and now he can be nice to it, I don't know what's going on. But Paul said it's more like he's playing with the mirror now and he's making it swing around and seeing, you know, kind of what its limitations. I think he's just a super smart little bird with not enough to do. So I might have to come up with some other toys now. This anyway, is that's the, that's the big news. All right. <laughs> You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Lots to talk about this morning. If you have a pet question for Dr. Major, if you want to talk about one of your encounters with nature, or throughout the hour, we're going to be talking with uh, George Phillips about fossils. Java, you wanted to chime in, I believe, on owls this morning. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just publicly uh, thank Libby and all of our owl um, uh, guests who have come on our show. I know just in uh, November we had Katie uh, Tupi. Uh, on talking about owls and things because I was out uh, a couple nights ago with my middle uh, daughter and a barred owl did the who cooks for you. (laughs) And I immediately knew what it was. And I guess she thought I was like the smartest person in the world (laughs) because I knew that that was an owl. I knew what kind of type of owl it was. You know, it wasn't just doing the who, who, who. It was doing the who cooks for you, you know, that type of thing. So I just wanted to tell Libby that, uh, you know, on on the air. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad, yes. And now you probably are going to have great horned owls, too. I bet you do have them because we're hearing them call now great horned and barred at night. Yeah, you know. this I think I don't know. It's super close because I've heard it before, but it, it sounded like um, it was like right in the tree next to us. But, of course, I couldn't. I couldn't spot it. I don't know. You know, they were, it was, it was greatly camouflaged. Yes, yes. That's why it helps so much to to learn some of the songs and sounds and calls because yeah. then you know so much more about your birds. Mm-hmm. So Creature Comforts is the show where dads can sport, uh, score points with their kids. So great <laughs> yeah, story, Jonathan. It, it, was, it was nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dr. Major, I think, has joined us on the line. Good morning, Dr. Major. Let's uh, start off with an email for you. This one says... Do you recommend supplements for a large dog? Uh, the guy has an 11-year-old rescued lab mix and is asking if uh, you would recommend supplements for a large dog at that age. Okay, a good quality food is first thing. And, of course, you said 11 years old? Right. Right, so you want to be careful with what you do. You don't want to get – there's a lot of foods out here that have real high protein, 
uh, which probably would not be too well for this dog's kidneys. Uh, I would say pick a food that says for older dogs, aged dogs, uh, and certainly it wouldn't hurt to give some vitamins to that dog. There's several good brands of vitamins that you can actually give as a treat, uh, and I think that would be good. The other thing is skin. If his skin looks good and he's doing well, probably the only thing I would add to this dog would be uh, make sure there's a good quality food for older dogs and uh, probably add some vitamins. would not hurt. All right, uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Charlotte's called in from Cleveland. Looks like she has a question for you, Dr. Major. Charlotte, you're on the air, so go ahead. Um, I have a female Jack Russell Dachshund. She'll be 15 this July, and when she was about five or six, she developed kidney crystals and had to go on the prescription food. Um, if And it's $50 a month for eight pounds, and um, if, if I take her off that and put her on something more, quote, regular, could she be uh, getting stones and crystals again? Okay, has yeah, she had uh, crystals or stones since since you put her on the food for, prescribed for her? No, no, she has okay. not. You'll be taking a chance. Uh, fortunately, she's a small dog, I guess, and not not like a German Shepherd, a big dog. But uh, I'd be careful. Uh, talk to your vet and see what foods they would say are available. There are some foods that uh, would be probably okay, would be less cost, but uh, there's always a chance, and you would hate for her at her age to start developing uh, crystals or stones. The other thing, if you do change foods, is to have periodic urinalysis done by your veterinarian to be sure there's not any crystals showing up, okay? All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks uh, for your call, Charlotte. This is Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, paleontologist George Phillips. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. So, George, glad to have you back on the program. Uh, how have things been going with you? Oh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, they've been busy. It's been very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I work with a lot of people on a daily basis. Uh, I've got some papers published. I brought some copies of them in in case anybody gets really bored. <laughs> One of them's 32 pages long. Uh, so publishing, working on new research projects, um, working with students, working with graduate students, uh, working with the public. And speaking of the public, that's why I'm here today because – uh, in a couple, in a several weeks, uh, we work with the public on a big way uh, with the Museum of Natural Science, and we put on our annual fossil road show. And I would say, even including our virtual road show, uh, we should be right at the twentieth annual. Hmm. Uh, Libby, it might be twenty-one, but we'll just call this year the twentieth annual fossil road show. So it's we've come a long way since John Davis and Martha Cooper started it <laughs> so many years ago. All right, so it is one of your big events or one of the museum's big events of the year. Give us the details of when it is, and for folks that might not be familiar, what, what goes on? 
Well, uh, since I'm very involved in the show and since I'm married to the events coordinator, (laughs) I should know when that date is. And I do this time. It's uh, Saturday, March 4th. It runs from 10 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. But I have been known uh, to stay a little later uh, if, if we got latecomers and we always get latecomers. But uh, it's a big event where we get to invite the public out, uh, whether you are a novice or you have no experience with paleontology or fossils and you just want to learn a few things, uh, or if you are that uh, graduated, sophisticated, and much-educated, accelerated amateur paleontologist, and you have the potential to help other people. And we ask those kinds of people to come out and share their knowledge with the novices and, and the uh, lesser educated in this arena. We can't all do it ourselves. The museum employs one paleontologist, and that's me. So we invite people uh, of all walks of paleontology, uh, particularly a lot of amateurs, to come help us celebrate the day and educate the public about fossils and paleontology. And we have them come from Alabama, Louisiana in the past, and Uh, One year as far away as Iowa to help us uh, educate the folks. And if you are interested in setting up an educational table, we ask you to reserve a table early. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Lots to talk about when you call in this morning. If you have a fossil question for George, a pet question for Dr. Major, if you want to share one of your encounters with nature, email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. George is going to be with us throughout the hour, but we got a couple more questions. pet questions on the line, it looks like. Let's start again in Jackson. Patricia has called in today. Good morning, Patricia. You're on the air, so go ahead. I have a pair of Manx cats, brother and sister. They're about 16 years old, according to our guests. And for the last several years, I would say at least about five, they've been pooping outside of the uh, litter box. Um, we used to have two litter boxes, one for each one, and that didn't solve the problem. And uh, now we have one huge litter box, which is a pain to use because it, um, you know, because if it's filled with litter, and then it takes us a long time to to clean that out. So my stepdaughter suggested a product called Kitty Poo, and she said that it works really well and they mail it to you every month or something like that. And I was wondering what we could do um, to try to help these cats to poop in their box. Right. Sometimes what was the they product, poop in the box. What was the product yes. that you're What, that what we're using recommend? now? No, there was a product you said that was recommended. Kitty poo. Kitty poo. Kitty poo. And what is it? I mean, is it litter? It's uh, litter. It's it's, it's, uh, kitty litter. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. It's the reason I was asking the questions. You said they're 16 years old? Yes. Okay. need to talk to your vet about possible arthritis. Uh, This can cause some issues. Uh, Not using the litter box is one of those. Uh, Sometimes it's more convenient uh, for the cats to 
to people outside the box, and I'm just wondering if this might be part of the problem. There is a new product uh, available as an injection, but it does help those cats with arthritis. Now, that may not be the case with these cats, but it's a thought that might might help. I have one cat that's pretty big. He's real long, and with the larger litter box, you should have solved this problem, but he's so long that sometimes I see him in the litter box, but he just extends over and poops outside the litter box. So that's his problem. But please check and see if, if your vet feels like they have arthritis, and that may be part of the problem. The new litter, uh, see if it helps. It may. All right, okay. uh, Patricia, thanks for your call this morning. And Thank just uh, for folks listening, uh, Kitty Poo is a subscription service uh, where there's a monthly fee, and they will send you sort of a disposable, like a box of litter per month. So you use it for a month, and then it's, I think, uh, gotten rid of, and you can choose different types of litter and that sort of thing. So if someone okay. is interested, I've never heard of it either, up. but, yeah. yeah, uh, I, had, yeah. I, I think I'm too cheap for something like that because I <clears> – <throat> To me, it's easier just to scoop litter, but I only have one cat, so. Uh. I understand. <laughs> uh, let's stay on the phone lines for just a minute, and next we're going to go to Columbus. Kay has a dog question. Good morning, Kay. It's your turn. Go ahead. Thank you. Yes. Good morning, Kay. Um, I'm asking about uh, my dog that I'm having trouble with, her Aiden. Um, she's very finicky, and uh, my vet has put her on um, Hydronase food, H.A., and uh, also um, Apoquil, and she chews on herself still. And I've even, I'm just at my wits end what to do about her. And I've heard about the farmer's dog and wondered if you know anything about that and if it would possibly be the answer for me. Some people swear by that food. I haven't had personal experience with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, several things to think about. Number one, you say she has a skin issue. She chews and scratches all the time. Is oh, really? Really bad. Brings blood. Does the apoplexy um, seem to help? Well, she's on it now, and she's been on it forever. And the hydronized food, which she doesn't care for, and if she eats it, it'll be like you put it down and it's nine, ten o'clock. I mean, it, it's... Right. It's driving me a little crazy here, and I love her so much. Right. Now, that food, of course, is prepared, and they supposedly have removed the allergens from that food, which uh, would kind of lead the fact that maybe she's not allergic to the food if she still has those issues. My suggestion is talk to your vet about Cytopoint. He may have already seen that or heard of it. It's an injection that lasts approximately 30 days. And uh, sometimes after having been on Apoquil for quite a while, it seems to lose some of its effect. And that's the thought you might try that. The other thing that some of the dogs respond well to is a a probiotic that you put put on the food daily. So talk to him about probiotic and also Cytopoint. That might might be the answer for a while, okay? All right, Kay, thanks for your call. Staying on the phone lines, uh, we're going to go to Ocean Springs. A fossil question from Robert. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, uh, this is uh, concerning a uh, uh, Facebook post I saw from one of the naturalist groups I'm with. 
Um, it concerned a, um, a fossil found, I think, in Claiborne County, Catahoula Formation. Um, if Mr. Phillips is familiar with that, it was very special. A fossil or was it um, a, a mineral or a stone like opal? Um, yes, but I believe it was in the form of a fossil, uh, just from my recollection. Uh, it was the opal. Oh, an opalized fossil. Well, that does happen. I don't, I don't know that it's happened in uh, Claiborne County. Uh, we haven't seen any fossils in that deposit that's bearing this opal that you've seen all over uh, social media um, and that's been publicized by the uh, Mississippi Office of Geology. And very soon, uh, once the legislation is passed, opal, sedimentary opal, uh, precious opal, will be our state gemstone. It's just all academic now, just to give some people some background. But there's been a lot of buzz about that on social media. I don't know about the opalized fossil from Claiborne County, but there are opalized fossils from East Central Mississippi. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a different type of opalization, but there I've seen opalized shells from, I think it's Clark and uh, Lauderdale and maybe Neshoba counties. Um, but I have not caught... I uh, try to be vigilant, <laughs> uh, but I, I, if, uh, if it's out there, James Starnes has probably addressed it. He's with the Mississippi Office of Geology, and he's better at uh, keeping up with those um, the, with the Mississippi groups than I am, I'm afraid. I'm spread all over the Mississippi, Alabama, Carolina, <laughs> Texas groups. Uh, but I missed that one. I'll have to look for it. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for your call this morning. Let's get one more call in before our next break. Back to Dr. Major we go. Mike from Hernando has a pet question. Go ahead, Mike. You're on the air. Not a question, but you guys are talking about kitty litter boxes. I have three cats, and those boxes you buy at the big lot stores are not big enough for a cat, even one. So I bought those under-the-bed shoe boxes. They're big, long, relatively, you know, they're not flat, but they'll hold shoes and fill them for my three cats, and they sit in a closet, all three of them, and that's more than enough room because one of my cats is kind of long as well, and he fits in it perfect. So I would okay. advise everybody to not use those stupid little kitty litter boxes you buy in the store, but get the big under-the-bed shoe, under shoe box, fill it, and the cats will be happy. All right, good tip. Great, great, uh, thanks great for giving point. us a call. Yeah. I, have, I have one client that... Uh, actually uses a kitty swimming pool for the cat litter, <laughs> which, which, which is an immense cleaning out problem, but certainly uh, it uh, gives them plenty of space. All right, Mike, thanks for the call. I have one that's uh, kind of a sieve. It's three layers, and uh, you um, you just pick up the top layer and can sort of shake shake the, the litter that hasn't been used right. uh, loose, and it's uh, fairly easy that I've found that that's helpful too. But uh, whatever whatever you're using, if your cat likes it, that's the important thing, that, that he, he or she has a place to go and goes there when it's uh, time to do that. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is paleontologist George Phillips. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Earlier, George told us about the Fossil Roadshow that's coming up on Saturday, March 4th, between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Libby, you have another event that's coming up at the museum that you want to tell us about. Yes, Arbor Day. 
is a big celebration of trees, and I th- it, it's again at the Natural Science Museum, and this is February the 10th, which will be a Friday, and it's in the morning hours, 9 to 12, and four kids. Uh, it's a, Evidently, it's coordinated with a lot of um, school curriculum, so if teachers want to make a a field trip reservation, they should do that. But it's called Stems, Leaves, and Trees, and it's just all kinds of neat activities and fun things to do. So uh, we can talk a little bit more about that maybe next week, but um, just to get people, get it on their calendar. If you want to make a reservation for to take a group, it's a good thing to go ahead and call or get online pretty quick because it is February the 10th, 9 to 12, and it's the Arbor Day celebration about stems, leaves, and trees. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today is paleontologist George Phillips. George, one of the things I look forward to when you come is you always have some show and tell. And I think uh, I saw Java in here earlier taking a picture, so I'm sure we'll post it when we uh, post the show online. But uh, it's a big one today. Tell us what you brought. Oh, I've got a bigger one. (laughs) (laughs) There's always a bigger one. (laughs) This is one of uh, two dinosaur foot assembly uh, activities that we have that we bring out for the Fossil Road Show and other events. The kids seem to love it. It's a puzzle, essentially. Uh, the upper part of foot is already assembled, so you're already 20% of the way there. You just have to assemble the other 80%, namely the toes. So as you can see, there's a lot of individual bones in the toes collectively. These are theropod dinosaurs. The one I brought today is from Gollumimus, which is one of the ostrich mimic dinosaurs that we just published on here in the last couple of months. And the other one is a Tarbosaurus, which is a Tyrannosaur relative. Uh, both of these are from Mongolia, and that foot is about uh, three or four times that size. Um, and so we bring these out and challenge the kids to put the bones in their right order. And uh, once they've done it once, uh, they can move through it pretty quickly. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, one or two kids over the years, we've been doing this about a half a dozen years, um, do it on the second try. And, yeah. And so I was really impressed with that. I hope he becomes a paleontologist. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we do this. Uh, when we used to, we did Turtle Day um, once or twice in the distant past. I kind of hope we'd bring that back someday. But we would use a turtle shell, a disarticulated turtle shell, not the, the individual bones of the feet and the head. But we would do a similar thing with by assembling the different parts of turtle shell because they go together in a certain order. Uh, if you would, tell us about one of the newer things at the museum, the Outdoor Dinosaur Trail. Oh, yeah. So a good friend of mine passed away a couple of years ago, and he left the museum a little money, and we decided to put that money towards uh, something that he would have approved of. And he, he wanted the money was slated for something paleontological, and we had some ideas, but uh, when the director... Uh, came up with the idea of the dinosaur trail. We all fell in love with it, and so we had to do that. And it's been a great hit. Um, we have uh, some half a dozen dinosaurs on the trail now. It gradually came together over the course of um, uh, several months, uh, uh, almost uh, two years ago now. And we've got some carnivorous dinosaurs on the trail and some um, plant-eating dinosaurs on the trail, and they're sort of posed such that they're some of them are interacting with one another, but from a distance on either side of the dinosaur trail, or what we also know as the fern trail. 
and uh, we've got them from two different sources. It was difficult to get the one from China because it happened during COVID, and we probably paid three times the cost of the Chinese dinosaur, as, uh, three times the cost to ship it as the cost of the actual dinosaur itself. The shipping was just so extraordinary high. Um, but we are so glad we got them, and they're a big hit out on the trail. Uh, but we do ask the folks not to touch the dinosaurs. Um, that's been a problem. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the ropes are and, and markers and borders are up there for a reason. But please appreciate them from a distance. All right. Uh, we can underscore how important a good litter box is for a cat because I think we got a couple of more litter box questions or comments. Let's uh, go back to the phone lines, starting again in Hattiesburg. Teresa is on the line. Go ahead, Teresa. What do you have for us? Uh, well, I've been told, and I've had cats all my life, that you're supposed to have one litter box for each cat and then one additional litter box. So, example, if you have two cats, you should have three litter boxes. Or if you have five cats, you have six litter boxes, one for each cat and then one additional. And that seems to work most of the time. Every once in a while you get one cat that wants to be cantankerous. He's protesting something or whatever. Sometimes I have cats that like to get revenge and they might do something. <laughs> and use more than one of the litter boxes. But that's what I've been told. One litter box for each cat plus one additional one. And that seems to work for us. That's great advice. And remember that cats are cats, and they may change their personality on you overnight, so you have to deal with that. But the one per one one litter box per cat plus one usually works pretty well, and we appreciate that advice. All right, thanks for the call. Um, let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Uh, we'll go next to uh, Wilkinson Wilkerson County. Uh, Chief has called in today with an interesting story. Chief, what do you have for us? Uh, good morning, to y'all. Love your show. Thank you. Yes, uh, and uh, I like what uh, Mr. George Phillips is doing because I'm a uh, medicines person, inherited. My grandfather was a medicine person, and I'm considered to be a shaman. And uh, uh, I work with different types of minerals and stuff. And he was talking about the turtle day. We, uh, I work with a lot of the turtle medicines too, but uh, Doctor Major. Uh, I really like what you do and listening to you. Some years ago in the mid-90s, I was uh, a friend of mine. He was working at the uh, Baton Rouge Zoo. He was in, uh, worked with the elephants. And uh, he came to my house one day and asked me to come over and, and uh, check out the elephant. They were talking about laying the elephant down. They were going to have to euthanize it and... Uh, said that its leg was stiff and it wouldn't bend its leg and the other elephants were pointing that elephant. So I went over and uh, he introduced me to the elephant and I began to observe the elephant how it was watching me and I went around to the uh, its uh, right side and uh, I began to talk to the elephant moving my hands up and down. It wouldn't let me touch it. I wouldn't insist on it and so I began to talk to it and I put a little back in my hand and it sniffed that up and liked that and so I give it some tobacco about three times and uh, about two weeks later the young guy came by and he said uh, man he said I don't know what you've done to that elephant but he saying that wrong with it now <laughs> <laughs> and I was just wondering uh, 
if Dr. Major, if some of the veterinarians ever work with medicine people or shamans for uh, helping animals. Oh, yes. And uh, certainly there's, I'm not sure exactly on that elephant, you know, exactly what motivated the elephant. Maybe he thought he was going to get some more more tobacco. I don't know. But, yes, uh, I certainly am open to that uh, myself, you know, as far as working with uh, different, uh, what should I say, either shamans, naturopaths, and a lot of these things have very, very deep uh, meaning and usages. All right, uh, Chief, thanks for the call. Interesting story. Thanks for calling in and sharing us and the kind words about the show. Our guest today on Creature Comforts is uh, George Phillips. So, George, uh, the uh, recently historically low Mississippi River seemed to present some issues, problems for some people, but it might have had a silver lining in terms of uh, fossil hunting. Oh, that it did. So that low water exposed uh, many square miles of sand and gravel on on the bars of the Mississippi River. And everybody who knew about collecting the treasures on the river be they um, fossils, rocks, artifacts. So the Mississippi's carrying this, what we call a bedload of material that it has eroded from the heartland of the country. So the rocks and items and objects in the river include things from as far away as Minnesota uh, and even into Canada. And so the, the Mississippi River, its content is just full of all this history. Um, and some of it on the order of a couple of billion years old uh, is, is, uh, approximates the date on some of the oldest rocks that can be found in the river. Well, um, my office is more concerned with the bones <laughs> that have been found on the river. And quite a few of those have come to light, including things that we don't see typically in any ordinary year in a drop of the Mississippi River. Um, rather rare things. In fact, the things that got the most publicity on social media in particular uh, were these lion fossils that were found on the river uh, back in the fall. Uh, the, the two that we know about uh, came to us. They were donated to the, to the Museum of Natural Science. One of them was found by one of our wildlife officers, and the other one was found by Mr. Wiley Pruitt of Oxford, Mississippi. And so they uh, generously donated these specimens so we could further document uh, Mississippi's fossil record. Uh, the very first lions to have been found in Mississippi, uh, well, the very first specimen ever found in North America was also the first one, obviously, found in Mississippi. And it was found in Natchez, Mississippi, sometime before the 1830s. And uh, a few lion fossils have been found since then, um, probably many more than I know about. Uh, but very few have come to our attention. Uh, so they're much rarer than the uh, herbivore fossils. The carnivores are much rarer than the herbivores. So the mastodons, the mammoths, the horses, many of these bones crop up pretty regularly, the bison as well. But these carnivore fossils are quite rare, and so we pay particular attention to those when they uh, rear their he head on the Mississippi River gravel balls, as two of the lion fossils did this year, and a couple of bear fossils too, extinct bears. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Back to the phone lines we go before our last break. Off to Pass Christian. Catherine's on the line. Uh, good morning. It's your turn, so go ahead. Hi. Hi, this is Catherine. Um, okay, yet another litter box comment. Um, a, friend, a friend of mine bought a plastic storage box, which is about the same length and width as one of those under-bed uh, shoe 
storage boxes, mm -hmm. but it's got the high sides instead. Oh. And she cut a hole in the middle of the top so that the cat will have to jump up on top of the box and go down into the hole to get to the litter. And it worked beautifully. The cats liked the enclosed space, the dark space, uh, and they couldn't poop out of the box, obviously. Um, and, but, of course, this could be a problem for an old arthritic cat. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's it worked beautifully. All right. That's a, a good tip because it is important to have the high sides there so that the, nothing goes out over the side. So appreciate your call. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, paleontologist George Phillips, as the theme from Jurassic Park brings us back in. <laughs> I'm sorry, George, if it's a little, a little cheesy. I, I, I like to do that every time you're in here, man. Oh, that's okay. I, I think a lot of children that approach me about wanting to be a paleontologist think I wake up to that music every morning. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, George, one of the things I think that y'all will do on the Fossil Road Show, which is Saturday, March 4th from 10 to 3 at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science in Jackson, is to help people identify things that they bring in. What is it? Is this actually a fossil? If you're out hunting and you see something, what would be some just quick tips that someone might say, hey, do I have a fossil or is it just a rock? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you mentioned hunting. Uh, we even have hunters bring in bones, uh, modern bones, to have identified. So the things that we can identify at the show uh, almost have no limit when we're fully staffed at the show with geologists, paleontologists, and, and I know a lot about the, the anatomy of modern animals. Um, but it's it's hard. Obviously, I think the first thing that catches most people's eye is, is there's a pattern or there's some regular – um, at least they think it's some kind of uh, regular morphology or shape to it. We, For people that have never collected a fossil before or even been to our museum in particular, uh, they, they might uh, see shapes uh, in things. And um, some of those, it's hard to convince them that those shapes aren't actually real things. But um, so, uh, we get... Uh, uh, some interesting things come in, and uh, but it's hard to say if if you suspect it, it might be a fossil or or something special at all. You know, it's best just to you know, be on the safe side, is put it in your bag. And we that's kind of our policy when we're out collecting in the field. If I don't know what it is, you know, we bag it anyway. And when we're not bagging everything, um, but uh, you know, obviously, if you see it coming out of the ground, it might be something. It's 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 hard to put that in, I guess, in a simple statement in a guideline. Um, with social media these days, fortunately, I don't have to encapsulate that. Uh, people just start sharing pictures, and that's one way to do it. Is uh, phones are always so handy? Take a shot and share it with one of the Mississippi fossil social media groups. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our friend Mikey from Mobile has patiently held on the line. So, Mikey, you're on the air with us now. Go ahead. Yes, sir. First of all, um, I do have a question for the uh, for your guest. But first of all, I have found something that has made my life significantly improved. It's called the Shed Monster, S-H-E-D-M-O-N-S-T-E-R, Shed Monster, Less Stress De-Shedding Tool. Believe me, um, uh, this one says it's for cats, but I don't have cats anymore. I've had as many as 21 at a time. Uh, I do have dogs, uh, and they're small. They're cat-sized dogs. Uh, one has long hair, and this thing actually works because 
first of all, they let me do it. <laughs> um, and it, it uh, actually, as, as you, you, it's like a metal comb with many teeth that are curved. And it, it looks dangerous, but it absolutely does not hurt them at all or me. Um, and it actually collects the hair as you are pulling it through and combing so that you're not left with a bunch of stuff. I used to have to put down newspaper everywhere before I even brushed them. This works. Um, it's, it's by a company called Oster, O-S-T-E-R. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, the Furminator and, is another uh, uh, good one. Is it, 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 maybe that's similar, you know. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, um, uh, you know, my question for your guest is, um, uh, could you please help me to understand the difference between fossils are generally referred to as mineral things like stones and whatever. Um, but I have some things that have uh, washed down river um, that look like Native American sorts of things uh, that are wood. Could he please, you know, enlighten me? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And and we usually cover it in, in the beginning of the shows. But sometimes we take it for granted that some people don't know the difference. Um, so a fossil is any uh, remnant of an animal. It can range from – or a plant, rather, or any living organism. Um, it could be, you know, a bone or a leaf – Coal itself is loaded with fossils because it's a concentrated, a dense concentration of fossil plants and uh, algae and other things. And but uh, archaeology is the uh, uh, the field that covers anything that's man-made. There is some overlap in the sense that there are human fossils uh, and the artifacts, things that are made by man. Um, can themselves be identified as trace fossils, a category of fossils where uh, you don't actually have a remnant of that organism, but you have some trace it left behind. Like footprints can be preserved in the sedimentary or geological record. And those themselves are fossils that are classified as trace fossils. So fossils are limited to the uh, purview of paleontology. Uh, and they're organic remains or remains of uh, living organisms in some way, whether a trace or an actual part of that organism. And again, the uh, artifacts are uh, the purview of archaeologists, people that study uh, ancient man. And then geology is the study of the rocks themselves, but it can also include paleontology and has been known to bleed into archaeology as well. All right, Mikey, always good to hear from you. Let's wrap up our show with one final call. Off to Starkville this time. Graham has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. I, I was going to comment that uh, uh, long before I ever heard of the uh, Cambrian explo explosion, I happened to climb Mount Burgess in British Columbia and uh, <clears throat> had to turn back before I got to the top because the shales are so loose. And I found a fossil up there that I treasured all my life. But uh, and then found out its true significance. But the question I wanted to ask here now was, uh, I knew a geologist, in fact, I knew multiple geologists here at Mississippi State University, and uh, one who re lived in Columbus told me that he knew where there was a home built with footings that were a, a bunch of either whale or mastodon vertebrae 
In other words, they were they were uh, the house was was supported instead of on rocks or bricks on these these uh, animal vertebrae that uh, I presume were fossils. I had to go back a good ways. And I just wondered if you happen to know where that uh, anybody knows where that is. It was a home here in Mississippi, and I think that, uh, I have no positive indication of where, except in south uh, southeast Mississippi, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I, I've, uh, I forget the references in the literature, but it, it's published somewhere in maybe uh, an old um, a publication by the Alabama Geological, Sur- Geological Survey of Alabama, that is. Um, but it, yeah, it's, I, I've never seen it. I, I don't know the documentation in detail or can't cite it, but there is some documentation out there about that. But it was a small house. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. One final reminder, the Fossil Road Show, the annual Fossil Road Show, 20th annual, we're calling it, Saturday, March 4th from 10 to 3 at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science in Jackson. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funding provided in part by listeners. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, you can always go to creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, our call screener was Charles Arnold, and our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest George Phillips, I'm Kevin Farrell. We'll be back Thursday at 9 for another Creature Curves heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.